Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone. Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee. Or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com slash the HIP podcast, or with the link in our show notes. When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health It's Personal. Today, we had an incredible conversation with the most lovely couple who shared the ups and downs and the wonderful moments of fostering as a same-sex couple. We are so grateful for their time today, and I think this is such a nice compliment to last week's episode. For sure. It's really great to see kind of the contrast of, you know, maybe two gay dads and now two uh, gay moms and very different situations too. I know Rob had mentioned they were intending to maybe foster, but then they just jumped right into adopting because of that awesome situation. It just kind of worked out so perfectly. Um, And it kind of felt like what we talked about today was you just kind of take it one step at a time. You go to that next step when you're ready and it just kind of falls into place. It happens. Really beautiful story. Yeah. So unlike Rob and his former partner who adopted out of the foster system, The couple we spoke with today explained kind of what it's like in their roles as foster parents, knowing that they have this wonderful child who may be with them for one day or one year or many years. And I learned so much about the process that I didn't know. We will mention that in order to ensure this wonderful family's privacy, we will not be sharing the couple's names or the name or approximate age of the child. And this is just for their safety and for legal reasons as well. And one of those things that I never thought of when thinking about fostering either is the privacy of the family. And they have so much more information about that too in the episode. Yeah, it was really informative. And I love their attitude or like their perspective about it. And she did say that fostering the way that they are might not be right for a person who gets so emotionally attached. And I would totally be that person. It would be really challenging. Um, But I loved how they looked at it as just this beautiful thing that they have in the moment that's now you can get attached to the the child in that relationship, of course, but not to the situation because it is always changing. It could always change. You don't know. You don't want to make assumptions. And I think that's so valuable to know if you're thinking about fostering or if you just want to know what others have gone through when they do foster, whether they're the parents or they were in the foster system themselves. Uh, like we had Wendy who grew up in the system over in England and her experiences. So it's good to see the other side. Yeah, and I think for all three of us who have considered adoption or are considering adoption, I think fostering is something that not everybody thinks about when they think about starting their family. Mm -hmm. And it's such a unique way to start your family, but also such a really special way to do something that is kind of selfless in a way, because the point of fostering is to have reuniting in mind, reuniting that child with their family. And so I imagine that could be incredibly difficult, but also incredibly rewarding to know that you help them in their moment of need. 
Yeah, just knowing what you're getting into and what to expect from that, and knowing that, like they said, the entire system is built around those individual child's needs. So they're mm-hmm. all a part of this community that is making sure that these children are taken care of and happy, and that their needs are met. And some of these children have gone through trauma or abuse or tough situations. Some of them maybe less so, and mm-hmm. it's just. Really reassuring to know that these children are being taken care of in such a detailed way. Really, yeah. It sounded like they have like a good, strong team to support all of them. They have advocates for the child and for the foster parents, and that's so nice to hear. It sounds like at least where they are, the system is really working in their favor and really like pulling for them. Yeah, I love to hear that their training was really immense like they had an immense training program that really helped them to prepare for all these different situations I don't even think parents like other parents have that kind of training right so it's important that when you're working with a child who's been through challenging times that you know how to handle every situation it's a big responsibility and I love that Sean you said it was similar to the role of a teacher Mm -hmm. I thought that was such an interesting insight yeah, it's, it's really true because, you know, I worked with um, young children, kindergarten and up, uh, and it's just you have to learn how to take care of the children. You know, have to you have to know how to report, you know, whatever's happening in their lives. And, you know, they might have been or going through situations with their parents, too, that you kind of have to be aware of and cognizant of. But you can't make any decisions for those children. You just have to make sure that they're taken care of. And then you have a little bit less support, I guess, <laughs> but um, people you talk to to kind of communicate those things or report those things. Um, but I, I liked that that way of thinking about it because it reminded me of you really bond with those children. You have a strong connection. You're a big part of their lives and they're a big part of yours, even though you're not really their parent. But um, I think what I really liked is they're kind of coming up with their own terms for things like that. And I'm addicted to, you know, family or the fram. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Yeah, I think they understand their place in that child's life and they are making it as fun and interesting and special as possible in the time that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For themselves too. <laughs> Talking about how funny kids are, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> they just make you laugh all day. It's such a blessing to be able to be taking care of a child who needs it. And it's also filling your cup. Yes. All day. Oh, so On that note, Karen and McKenna. So Karen, I'm going to ask maybe what's your favorite silly thing that McKenna or Max did? And McKenna, what is your favorite thing that when you took care of some kids when you were the nanny, what was your favorite thing? (laughs) Oh, I mean, so many funny stories. And I think that's one thing about kids is they are hilarious. I remember, though, before I was even a parent, I could not stop laughing at my cousin and my aunt would get so mad. She'd be like, do not laugh at him. It's hard not to laugh at kids. One of the funniest things Max said to me was, he was like maybe four or five years old. He said, when I was born, I thought you were going to be the best mom ever. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He's just directly funny. (laughs) Scathingly funny. And harsh. Yeah. Yeah. When I was born, I thought. (laughs) So funny. I can't really remember a lot of fun stories from my 
nannying, babysitting days. But I do remember an older girl I watched while I was living in New York. She was like, can I show you this dance I learned? And I was like, please, that sounds great. Because she's a fantastic dancer. And she's like 12, I think. And I was like, please. And she goes, Alexa, turn on WAP. And then she does the (laughs) WAP dance. And I was like, what is going on? Your parents are going to be home any minute. Turn that off. Alexa, turn that off. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck? Yeah, That's really great. (laughs) So funny. That same girl, she was learning the clarinet, but hadn't even tried it yet Mm -hmm. but had the clarinet at home and so i was like why don't we try the clarinet tonight we can see if we can get some sound out of it or something so when she was doing it by herself she could not figure it out and no sound was coming out and then i just kind of showed her where to put her hands and stuff and then it made a horrifically loud (laughs) woodwind screech (laughs) and and she was so proud she was like sound came out she was so happy so she was supposed to be in bed at like 10 and her parents came home at 10 30 and she insisted on staying up so that right when they walked in the door she could make that horrible sound (laughs) right when they walked in to scare them and i just let her (laughs) you know i was like i don't think that's a great idea and she's like well it'll be funny and i was like okay you're right (laughs) i told the parents i was like for the record i i did vote against that but it was something that did end up happening oh, really strongly about they're like i'll send I you a venmo request <laughs> i think one of it's just a silly little thing but when i worked at the school and uh i had a coworker, and she was really great she had two wonderful kids and so her youngest had a, a couple of difficulties when it came to learning and he as a result said in my opinion the cutest things because he couldn't pronounce a lot of words properly and karen and i we love turtles and McKenna, you might too. <laughs> but Sure. <laughs> Who doesn't? <Yeah. laughs> he loved turtles as well. And he couldn't say turtle, but he could say turder. And to this day, I call it a turder. <laughs> it's, so, it's the cutest That's pronunciation. So <laughs> it's a turder. <laughs> oh my gosh. That made me think of when um, I told McKenna that someone at her school was a tutor and (laughs) she was like mortified (laughs) like this is your tutor (laughs) it's like what (laughs) oh that reminds me my my old coworker. she some guy came in and said where's your lavatory and she's like we don't do experiments here (laughs) (laughs) that's so hilarious because we worked at a doctor's (laughs) office so it's like Yeah, kids are so funny. People are so funny. And it's so important to laugh right now. This wonderful couple we spoke with today have so much information and also are just so full of life and are making the most of their situation. And it's such a beautiful thing to hear. They are the people that we need to be taking care of our children. And it was such a thrill to speak with them today. So please, everyone, grab a cup of tea and enjoy. Health is understanding what you need. Being informed. Finding that balance of mental and physical. Building yourself a support system. Figuring things out on my own and not letting it hold me back. You do kind of have to advocate for yourself. Because health, it's personal. Welcome. We are so excited to have you today and hear more about your story. But I'd love just to start off by asking, when did you first decide to become foster parents? 
I don't, I don't know. We didn't really decide. We never decided. It, it That's exactly what it, it happened to us. I remember, well, we were always thinking about it for a while. You know, I mean, we're a same-sex couple. We're not going to have kids in like the normal way. So I don't know. I was always interested in foster care, I guess. And I suggested it to her before we were married. And she was like, sure. And I think she just like thought about it a lot and really warmed up to the idea. And she's definitely like the doer of our relationship more. I don't know, making the phone calls and stuff. And I remember it was last December and one of our friends was staying with us from out of town. And she was like, we need to go to the information meeting tonight. And I was like, cause they have them like once a month here. And then, you know, it depends everywhere. And I was like, no, I don't want to go. I'm tired from work. And she was like, no, we have to go. And I was like, and And then I don't know. And now here we are. (laughs) In some regards, it was all leading up to when we got the call for the placement that we decided Mm -hmm. to take, because, you know, it's like the whole thing is like your training, we have extensive training, all this like background checks and like all this stuff. And they're like preparing you, you know, like what kind of kids are you open to taking? And then, you know, we did get some calls for kids before our current placement that we didn't take. And then, you know, it just leads up to like when you get the call and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is the one that we can do. Feels right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So was it a daunting process? It was definitely longer than we expected. I mean, yeah. So we mm-hmm. went to the information in December and we pretty much did things as quickly as we could. And we didn't become certified technically until August. Okay. Yeah. So it did take pretty much nine months. We had like an interview in January. Then we started training in February, which was six weeks. It went into coronavirus and we did the second half of training mm. over Zoom. Then, yeah, we had to go to first aid training, CPR, first aid, CPR, first aid. background checks, fingerprinting. Those are like the three things, at least for here. I think it can vary a lot, like in different like jurisdictions to other country. But so we're certified specifically in our city, which is an incorporated city and county. We live in an urban center. And it's, yeah, like the CPR uh, background checks and fingerprints. But we had to have a physical, like you just have to go to the doctor and they'd be like, yeah, you're healthy. And I had mine done in December and it was all in the good for six months. So then they were like, you need to go get another physical. <laughs> and we did like a home study and mm-hmm. then they home inspection, home study. Yeah, they come and inspect your home. Was that nerve wracking? And were the people kind that came into your home? Like, what was that like? I'm curious. Yeah, the home inspection, it was just like an hour long. And it was just somebody who worked for DHS, Denver Human Services, who came and kind of like looked at the house and looked at the yard and like, it was in coronavirus. So he was like wearing a mask. And I feel like he like us didn't necessarily like want to spend a lot of time in like an unfamiliar place with people who didn't oh, know, you know? Yeah, okay. He said, because at the end he was like, well, I hope I get you guys. <laughs> like, like you seem like a nice couple. Aww. I hope I get you guys. Yeah. <laughs> we worked really hard to make sure that the house was up to code yeah, before sure. the inspection. So not just like being clean, but like I installed like a handrail. We had one basement window that didn't have like a grate on it. So I like built one because it's like irregularly shaped, like yeah. all of that kind Kids of stuff. Fall into it, stuff like that. So we were yeah. already right. had all that stuff taken care of before they came because it would not be uncommon for them to come and like tell you all the stuff to fix. But we were just like kind of prepared and like read a lot about like what we needed to fix beforehand. So yeah. Did the research, did your homework. Well, we wanted to expedite the process. No one wants to like, right. have to do revisions on their home inspection but the home inspection is just like one sliver of that home process and the most of it is a home study 
which is usually multiple visits by a caseworker to Yeah, normally they do like in-person interviews, but, but of course we did over Zoom. Um, we did three on Zoom and one in person. Oh my gosh, to have to go through all of that during quarantine over Zoom. Oh my gosh, you guys. Right. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, but, like, like not only is it like a crazy thing to do, but it's a crazy time to be doing it. But basically. like what else are you doing with your time? I don't know. Like, yeah, might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're stuck at home. <laughs> yeah. We've both been working full from home because we both work in like IT since, since March. So, um, the home study, the home study is the process you're asking about. Like, is there anything like really intense? Yeah. Or like a surprise, anything unexpected? Well, we got like a pretty good understanding of what it was going to be like beforehand. The class was like every Saturday for six hours for six weeks or something. And there was like another option to do like weeknights if you couldn't do weekends or something. It did take like longer to process our fingerprints and background checks and physicals and all of that kind of stuff than we thought like we're very good at bureaucracy we recently bought a home (laughs) then refinanced (laughs) our home then legally changed both of our names but not in the same process that was a lot of work too it's a lot of work but that was a lot of work because because we didn't change our name no, I want to change my name it sounds horrific okay well it's terrible I don't recommend it (laughs) So here's the thing. If you get married, you can just change your name. If you want to change your name to a name that is on the marriage certificate. So if you want to change your name to your spouse's last name, because that's on the marriage certificate, that's easy. Done. Done. But if you want to change your name to a new name, that's not easy. You have to go to the court and tell a judge why you want to change your name. And they can tell you no. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So we can just end this um, episode right now by saying having a child is easier than changing your name. Yeah. <laughs> Getting certified as a foster parent only takes three times the amount of time as changing your name legally. Huh. <laughs> However, it doesn't cost anything. It does not cost yeah. anything. I mean, yeah. So we did all that stuff like normally getting your background check fingerprinted like that costs a small amount of money, but the city paid for all of it. Yeah. Um, okay. the training is free, you know, everything, everything is free. Uh, we get paid to foster. Not a lot of money. Yeah. It's, if you break it down hourly, it's vastly below. Minimum Obviously wage. that's not why we're doing it. And they try to design the system. So that's not why anyone would do it, yeah. but they, and they definitely yeah. try to prevent that from being a thing. And now in Denver, at least, I feel like they've been pretty successful with that. The way that it seems like to both of us, and we've talked about it is that it would be hard in Denver to abuse the system, which is a good thing. It not only is it not like a ton of money and it's only designed to defray your costs. Like we, we budget spending more money than we receive. And I think that it would be hard not to, I think it depends on the age and and like school activities and things like that can cost a lot of money, but there's also no compensation for childcare. So you are responsible for all childcare. And like, as you know, that's a huge uh, cost. So it's really not, it's not a money maker. It's some money from the state for food and clothes and things like that. Yeah. Also, I think money to feel like you can say like, oh, like, let's go to the zoo or, oh, you can do hockey because it's like built into the situation. So I think for a lot of families, it would give them like the feeling of being able to like afford something for that child that's like enriching. Yeah, special. Absolutely. 
Yeah, because I think all parents kind of have to decide like, (laughs) you know, are we going to be able to afford piano lessons? Are we going to be able to afford hockey gear or whatever? And so yeah, for sure. you went through this really stringent journey and, you know, had a lot to learn along the way. But now you have a foster child. What did that first day feel like? The first day was actually pretty easy. Um, We picked him up which is a little unusual. I think frequently they're dropped off at your house, but we went to pick him up. He is like very chill. He like didn't cry a lot or, or he wouldn't even cry at all. And he came and he like ate what we fed him and he took a nap. The first day was just like whatever mode, like you're doing the thing and like you just do what is like required in, in that moment, right? It was just really surreal. Like we didn't have a child in our home and then we have like a child sleeping in our home. <laughs> Also, it was unusual, like frequently you like get the call and then you might get the placement that day or maybe the next day. But um, we had a unique situation where we had almost a week notice. So we had more time to prepare. So we like, uh, we think, yeah, we had like a whole week actually, I think. So they gave us a lot more time to like ruminate over it because then we're like, did we do all the things? Oh, he's coming. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Last week, we spoke with a gentleman who said that him and his partner found out that day and they were like, okay, we got to get to Target. We can't take them home if we don't have car seats and formula and like all this stuff. So that's one thing. If you're taking a child who's using a car seat, who is of that age that uses a car seat and uh, you don't have one, you're getting one on the way there because you can't take them back without it. And if you're picking up a child from the hospital, they won't let you leave with a child if you don't have a car seat. Mm -hmm. And that's not just for foster parents. That's for anybody. We were like, what? But then there are different car seat sizes for different children. So like, what do you do? You just plan to buy a car seat on the way. (laughs) Just find it so fascinating. And I was thinking, you know, when you're carrying a child, you have nine months to kind of go through all that process. So you guys had a week, which was amazing. And you had to go through that really quickly. But I just find it really fascinating that someone, you know, one day you're dreaming about a child, but then the next day you actually get one and that must feel so different. And then also thinking about how different it must be to get a child that you didn't deliver. (laughs) You know, I always thought how nice it would be to like go through adoption and be healthy and whole and like, you know, wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, not just be like (laughs) rolling out of your hospital bed and (laughs) caring for this child. So we're like two quote unquote moms, like we're two foster moms, but it's more like we're two foster dads. Like, isn't that like the dad experience? It's like (laughs) somebody had that baby and now I'm taking, you know, That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't seem that weird to me because I never really thought about having a, like a child in my own body. Really. It's like halfway, right. When you're fostering, you're, you're like literally fostering. You're, you're trying to help that child reunite with their family and the people who are present in their lives before you entered, like reunification is the goal. Yeah. So you don't want to think of yourself as we should probably make a point of saying that. I mean, in our system, they make a really big point of saying the goal is always reunification. Like the goal is always like, this is the foster system. It's not the adoption network. Yeah. The goal always needs to be reunifying the kid with their parents uh, until it's not, you know, but then that's not the foster system anymore. That's something else. Yeah. So that was really our mindset going in and they were really clear about that, which was really helpful in training. And the folks that we talked to were really clear about that. And that, 
is just genuinely you just all set your sights on that goal. You have to kind of keep these opposing ideas in your mind. There's like a little bit of cognitive dissonance of like, I will be here for as long as this child needs, no matter what that could look like in the future, because there's like always a chance of any potentiality. And simultaneously, I am a temporary figure in this child's life. And like, my goal is to like not be in their life anymore one day. Wow. That's conflicting. Yeah. But if you start that way, you know, it's more peaceful. Like you start that way, you start thinking that way. Do you feel like you got quality training? The training was not what we expected. It was not about the system. It was like about childhood trauma. These are like the issues that the kids you foster might have and how to deal with them. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Like this might be the experience of kids that come into your home. And like how you can talk through things or help resolve them. conflict, help them cope. A lot of people asked if it was like parenting training and it was, it was not like I, that I would, at all. Really? I would characterize it as somewhat parenting training. <laughs> we had to do like role playing where we like talk through disciplining a child and stuff. Uh, no, it was like conflict resolution. I don't know. Is that not the same thing as parenting? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get really philosophical. <laughs> yeah. Right. I do wish we would have had more um, education about working with the system. Like even basic, like, job quote unquote job training stuff like submitting our um like our time card so you like Mm -hmm. submit how many days you were foster parent in a month because you're compensated for food and clothing they didn't like train us how to do that or other stuff like that or we were not adequately trained on what is okay to share about the kids so at the beginning we made a big deal about how we weren't you know gonna like say the kid's name or their age when we were in training we were led to believe that it was okay to share those things but then once we got uh, our placement and we talked to his social worker he expressed that we should not share yeah. those things so we were not adequately trained on what I mean I think part of the problem is there's not it's not necessarily like a hard and fast rule so we did start telling people that at first and then we found out we shouldn't but it's not really that concrete you know they're not going to take a kid away because we told someone at the grocery store what his name is well, like and, it's not like that, and that was, <laughs> so I might have been manifesting a little bit of anxiety into well, this one issue yeah 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 <laughs> Fair enough. How to balance those things, like a kid's privacy with like what is just practical, you know? Yeah, I I definitely, it didn't naturally occur to me not to say a child's first name to people. That wouldn't be something that I would have ever thought of. So you can't introduce him to anyone? Not by his first name. Well, and again, it's not like the law or something. That's just, it would be better if you didn't. It's just suggested that you do that because, yeah, so depending on the child's age, they can volunteer their own information. Yeah. But if they're too young to do that, like, you can't volunteer information on their behalf. Part of it is, it, it's like a privacy thing. And like, so we got this whole thing about, like, the HIPAA aspect. Like, so, like, if the kid, you know, like, has some kind of medical situation, you can't share that unless it's to their doctor or whatever. Like, we couldn't even tell our mom Unless she's like, unless she's babysitting and then that would be like relevant to, you know, like to the caregiver. Which is a whole other challenge. Like you want to be able to ask your parents, oh my God, I think my child has a, I don't know, ear infection. Right. But you can't. You could call them and be like, how would you know if a kid had an ear (laughs) (laughs) I would be uncomfortable doing that because I like really, I'm a rule follower. What would you do if you thought I had an ear infection when I was a kid? (laughs) Yeah, we just can't share medical information. But when you're caring for a child, like all people who care for children talk about is like their child's yeah. like yeah. medical information. Like, oh, Henry had an ear infection and he pooped three times today and like cradle cap and like 
he grew out of his onesie so quickly. Is that normal? Like we can't say any of that stuff, not even the growing out of stuff one, like any developmental milestones are kind of off the table. And That's it's so been tough. frustrating. Yeah, Cause I parents. think they want, they want to refrain from anybody possibly like inferring that if a kid might have like a delay or something else like that, you know, their parents can share that information, but we're not their parents. That's that's like the thing, right? Is it's like not our place to be able. Not to do only that. are we not their parents, we're not their guardians, and we're not their custodians. So we have a really interesting. That might be that definitely might be a thing that varies from like true city county, you know, true. all that stuff. But true, we we don't have custody, so we don't have that kind of decision making power. What we have is the ability to make some medical choices, but not all. But like, not all. Like if he needed to like, go to the emergency room, we could take him. Mm-hmm. But if there's a decision about him needing a surgery, we can't make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds challenging. It kind of uh, sounds like a, a teacher's role, to be honest. That's kind of what a teacher has. That's an interesting way to look at it, Sean. You take care of the children. You want to make sure that they're okay, but then you can't really make those serious decisions. That's insightful because we are you know, teachers are mandatory reporters. We're mandatory reporters. We are like responsible for the child, but we can't make decisions on their behalf. And that's like teachers during school, especially for younger kids. Like the teacher is not the guardian, not the custodian of those children, but is like in charge of them. Just like roll that overnight. And that is pretty similar. And I think this is a good thing about the system, but there's like a lot of like rules around when you get a placement just generically so like not talking about like personal placement experience but just generically we were told this in training a lot so it wasn't a surprise but like within when you're when you get a placement like within 72 hours you have to make a first uh, like doctor's appointment basically then within like two weeks you have to schedule like a real doctor's appointment like not the, the quick exam and within eight weeks, you have to schedule a dentist appointment. And um, within some number of weeks, you have to make other types of appointments to like satisfy the requirements of the system for that child, which is like, good. You wouldn't want not to have the, the doctor's appointments. I mean, especially depending on the age, you know, and dentist and all that kind of stuff. But it's like really like bam, 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 the first two weeks, so many appointments and, and so many phone calls to schedule appointments and oh, man. <laughs> paperwork and meetings. And there's a lot of people involved, like, and they should have a whole team, but kids in, in the Denver system, you like have a whole team and it's all these different people involved. And we kind of have a team, like we have a caseworker and other people in the system also have caseworkers. So there's like a lot of caseworkers. There's somebody here for us. There's somebody here for, you know, different people, everyone kind of has their own caseworker, even like lawyers have their own caseworkers. So like everyone has a caseworker, which is cool. Like you always want someone to have your back and like understand the system. Yeah. And like give you, advise you on how to interact with the system because that's the, that's the hardest part. That's what I wish somebody would have told me when I was going through foster training, the hard part is not childcare. You're going to worry about childcare. Can I take care of this child? Can I keep this child alive? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. will this child just stop eating? And I don't know why. That part's the easy part. Believe it or not, that's the easy wow. part. The hard part is working with the system. Yeah, that makes sense. So if I were to foster a child and I got a child who had a family who wanted to visit that child, did you learn anything in the training about how that might go? Yeah. So depending on the situation that 
the child might have visitation with like many family members or other team members, you know, people in that child's life. And it could be, for example, a situation where like a mother, a father, and a group of grandparents all have multiple visitations per week. You could be running like more than, you could be running a visitation a day, basically. (laughs) Or it could be a situation where that child maybe has a visit every week, if less. It may be a situation where the visits are scheduled, but that family member doesn't show up. And that can be, you know, we learned about that in training as well, that that's like really difficult. I can imagine. Depending on the child's situation, they could be overnight visits. They could be like, like a weekend. They could be like an hour. They could be at a public building, like a Denver Health Services public building and supervised by the government. They might be at a private home. They could be at your home. They could be at the parents' home. Like there's all this variability. Wow. I had never even considered that. I've heard of like a visitation and I was thinking like, oh, once a week on Sunday afternoon, you know, it's, it sounds really daunting. (laughs) By the parent or whoever gets the visitation and what fits their schedule. And it doesn't even matter if it fits the kid's schedule. Like you could have to take out of school to take a visitation if that's what the parent asks because the parent has the right. Wow. So how have you been coping with your role as foster parents and kind of emotionally and supporting each other and finding that balance? Has it been difficult or have you been kind of just taking it one day at a time? Our answers will be different. (laughs) Insofar as the childcare part is concerned, so like actually foster parenting, you know, within the scope of the family interaction or the, we say family a lot for foster care because like, <laughs> we aren't that child's family, but we're their foster family. So it's like this weird liminal space, right? So we say family a lot. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say it, to be, instead of be like, you're a uh, liminal temporary uh, non-custodian caretaker. <laughs> we just say family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but within that, the scope of that, it's been really fun and it's been going really well. I get a lot of breaks though, cause I work full time. So I do childcare in the mornings and in the afternoons and sometimes like over lunch times. I work at a company um, that does really uh, heavily international business. So I work in different time zones. I work really early and really late sometimes. So sometimes I have like flexibility in my schedule to like oh, I'm, I'm going to stop work at three because tonight at 10, I have to be on with Dubai or something like that, right? right. Which helps. Yeah. So my perspective of it being so difficult is probably very personal. I think other people would not find it as difficult to work with the system. I just have like this really intense anxiety around bureaucracy and like rules, like rule breaking. Everyone is just pulling for the foster child, right? Like everyone is just doing that. No one is going to freak out if you like miss your deadline to submit your hours or if you forget to write something down that you were supposed to write down or if you like do your follow-up call a day late. Like, but to me, those are like really stress-inducing things. And then like the childcare aspect is like, makes me feel much better about the whole situation. And she does more of the childcare because she's doing the full-time childcare right now. Uh, it, it's definitely stressful. I think it is a little bit day to day and definitely a little bit in just like, I don't know, like triaged mom mode. <laughs> I don't know. It was like every time I turned around, he was like spilling something. So, you know, yeah. Oh no. Doing that for like ever. And it's just, I like the triage. <laughs> That's a great way to think about it. Yeah. 
I do think, though, we started with the right perspective with reunification in mind. Like, I think that for a certain kind of person or for a person who just had different expectations, that the idea that you do all the parenting action, but it's temporary. And like the whole point of that is to like have that child leave your home would be really emotionally difficult. I think it was at at first when we were in training. In training. We were definitely really like, I don't know. I had to like reckon with that. Yeah. Yeah. I had like an emotional reckoning. Other people in our life that we've like shared that with, they didn't understand. But I think that's like a normal reaction at first. And then, I don't know, you just get used to it. You just... Yes, you tell yourself that's how it is and that's how it is. I love that you did that. I love your attitude about it. I I just think it's such an amazing blessing for these kids. So you're awesome. Thanks. Um, and I love your term family too. Sean, do you want to ask them about their names? Yes. Okay. So because of that that term where you're not really the family, you're not really the custodian, and you're kind of in this in-between space. Last week we told you we talked with Rob who Um, is a gay dad who adopted twins. And we got to hear his story about how they approached, you know, what do the kids call them? And this got us really thinking for anyone in a foster care situation, how do you approach what the children might call you? We actually got training on this, um, which was great. Yeah, so that's good. (laughs) That's really good. And I think that the training was right on. And the training was basically like, kids will call you what they want to call you. Like they might call you mom or they might not call you anything at all. Like they might not ever say your name. They might say, I love you. They might not, you know, they might, and they define that. And that could be at any age, like kids start saying, identifying words very young, or like could be a 17 year old who starts calling you mom, like you don't know, but you just let them define that. I think this is a fair enough blanket statement. You would never ask a child to call you mom. Just like, don't do that. (laughs) Cause that's a big word, (laughs) you know, like they get to decide. And then again, depending on the age and like their experiences, but they might change their mind. Then they might take it back. And like, you got to be chill with that too. Cause maybe for some things in adult life, there are no takesies backsies, but uh, they're kids, like they're learning. So you got to let them take it back too. Training was good. I think that was good insight from training. Yeah, that's super interesting. Well, you both seem really chill. So hopefully that's helped you along the way. We're just tired. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. Tired. I know. <laughs> Spent. You know, a lot of people think, oh, foster parents are like caring for a child who was like abused or neglected or like left by their parents. That's not always the case. You can never make an assumption. It could be that that parent died. You know, the worst case scenario, like your kid could be really traumatized, but not every kid's going to be that traumatized, you know, or they might have some things, but they're not, you know. So I would like just erase those kind of preconceptions and stuff. And like, especially uh, from outside, like it could be any day that 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 reunification occurs or something. So I'm a little worried about that. Actually, I'm a little worried people will become attached to our situation when they could not become attached. So you're prepared for that, but maybe they aren't. Right. Not to the child. Like it's beautiful to form an attachment with a child. You just can't get attached to the situation of, of having that child, you know, going forward into the future. I think it's so, I think about this a lot. I've been thinking about this a lot based on the questions that Sean sent and just our situation. I want to say that I think we do this 
weird bad thing in our culture where we define a relationship as being successful if it's permanent and unsuccessful if it's impermanent. Hmm. And I think that's really messed up. Like it's really flawed because if you say my mom raised me until I was 10 and then she left, like that sounds like a failed relationship, right? But if you say my, and this is true for me, my grandfather raised me until I was 10 and then he died. Like, is my relationship with my grandfather failed? It doesn't make any sense. Like the fact that they're not in your life anymore isn't a condition of failure for a relationship. It's whatever happened in that relationship that characterizes it. Not that they're no longer in your life. I have plenty of successful friendships of people I don't talk to anymore. They were beautiful friendships in high school or college, right? And it, and it doesn't have to be that way. Why is a successful relationship a permanent one? Why can't you have successful relationships that are uh, short-term? They are what they are in that moment. And then mm-hmm. they dissipate. And that can be a successful relationship, right? Well, it makes me think of the book, The Power of Now and Living in the Moment always because that moment is the only moment that you truly have. I haven't read that book, but that definitely resonates, especially with foster care. You (laughs) are really like, we got this book called Maybe Days about foster care and like Maybe Days. It's a a children's book. It's like for her. Yeah, but it's like for us too. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Like all good children books should be. Definitely. And I want to say, I don't think we're the typical foster parents, um, but I don't actually know if that's the case. My instinct, and this is based, I guess, only on my experiences in Denver and with like the training and the orientation stuff. But my sense is that most foster families already have kids, um, either adopted or biological, and they're fostering into a family, whereas like we don't have adopted or biological children. So, but I don't know that that's accurate. I think it's hard to tell, especially with COVID, that we like, we're supposed to get to know all these other foster parents and get hooked up into foster groups and that like never happened. Can't, it can't. (laughs) In that way, it's like a little difficult to feel supported. We don't have a foster support group like other than our people who are involved in, in the placement and stuff like that. And then another part of it is like, how do you reach out for support when there are like legal limitations around how other people can care for the foster child, oh, yeah. right? Maybe actually just that we touch on respite. So yeah. respite is what they call. So only uh, certain people are legally able to care for the child. Like you can go to like a certified daycare, obviously, but we could have like a neighborhood, like okay. kid babysit or like my mom. Oh, that's a good point. Having another certified foster parent uh babysit and if if it's over so like here it's like if it's over six hours then you need a a respite care provider that's what they call it to be another certified foster parent and that's kind of well what we had planned on starting with short-term placement to kind of like familiarize ourselves with the system and you know yeah like we don't have kids like we do have jobs all this stuff so just like to start with something small the call we ended up taking was not for respite, but that's something um, that they really encourage p- providers to do. So, I mean, now we might need respite, you know, if we have this long enough, yeah. just going back to like something that foster parents can do to support like themselves, you know, just like give yourself a break, you know, like there are respite providers in like your jurisdiction or whatever, then their purpose is like, yeah, like we can watch your kids for a week just so you can have a break, you know? 
Yeah, oh, that's weekend, great. So you can go on uh, like a long weekend together. Or yeah, something. I have a coworker friend who's uh, he and his wife are getting certified as well. They just got certified as well. They're kind of going through the, the process at the same time as us, but in a different county. I'm actually not sure if they can be respite riders because it's another county. I think they probably can, though. We haven't checked. If we know someone who's considering becoming a foster parent, how might we be able to best support them? Um, have you had any great support from your family or friends? Uh, support has been a little difficult, but I think a lot of that is like COVID, right? It's like true. You're already like people are isolating, you know. I mean, we were isolating. We don't necessarily like want to be around people. So that's like a thing. I think the thing you can do to support foster parents is just like be understanding. Yeah. And flexible. Um, if they, you know, want to share certain things or don't want to share certain things, or if they just like you would like any parent, you know, if they have to cancel plans or something like that, just be okay with it. And bringing food has been nice. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's always nice. Anytime. So, For any reason. It's always welcome here. <laughs> My punch list would be casserole um, of any kind. <laughs> leftovers things that make leftovers our friend Lindsay has been super super supportive and the way that she's been so supportive was that she did things like buy necessities that she knew we would like go through like supplies like food and things cooking for us um and then just like spending chill time at our house without expectation of like interaction like she'd just come over and be on her phone and watch tv and like interact with all of us and without expectation of us being like le- like let's go somewhere like let's go out. entertaining <laughs> you yeah yeah you know just like to be present that makes us feel like we get adult time too which is nice just being a good friend yeah people buying things like that we have said we needed or something is is helpful because even if you have a week to prepare like we had a week first of all I don't think that's as common. I'm not an expert on that, but it does seem like a lot of placements have a shorter window than that. Even with like, say you have seven days, you're not going to get everything you need in seven days. You're not going to know everything you need in seven days. True. So like there's going to be stuff you need, right? We've reached a, a place where we're really comfortable with how we're managing what we've got and what we need and understanding what we need. Like that was the biggest for me it was not as much getting what we need. Like we can get what we need. We can get, you know, we can buy anything. Like it doesn't, there's nothing that's going to cost like $10,000 or something. Like everything's relative to like 60 <laughs> bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just knowing what you need. Do we need a high chair? Well, if you don't know the age of your placement or their size or anything like that, you might not know if you need a high yeah, chair. Yeah, because there's like a lot of stuff you might need for a kid. But if you don't know what age that kid's going to be, then there's only so much ahead of time yeah like do you need a car seat do you need a bed or a crib or or if you even if you do know an age like everyone's different if you get for example like if you had a 13 year old placement what a 13 year old might be like could vastly be different right it's almost like you have to meet that person to know what you need but then you need it right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah before they're there I think our experiences are super unique because of COVID. So like we started the foster care certification process before COVID and our whole kind of ethos was like, let's explore this. And like, we can stop at any time. You can stop at any time. You don't have to finish training. If you finish training, you don't have to get certified. If you get certified, you don't have to take a placement. 
yeah. ever if you don't want to. So I would say for folks who are interested in even exploring it, like go explore it. If you think you might want to do it, start the class. It's free. And like, you can stop at any time. That was kind of our thing. Like, you know, we kept telling each other, like, if this seems like it's, it's something we don't want to do, we're not like, we're not obligated. Even when you're certified, you are not obligated. You can decide it's not right for you anytime. Then for us, we just kept doing the next step and we kept doing the next step. So yeah, if you're interested, just check it out. Go to the info meeting. It's what, an hour and a half or two hours or something like that. Go to the first training. It's a couple hours. Like your binding agreement is with the child that you are caring for. I don't know how we decided to do this, but you just are like, yeah, I'll take care of you for as long as you need, period. Like, yeah, I'll take care of you for like a day or a year. If you accept a placement, I would just based on training and stuff, I would strongly urge anyone, you know, to think of it like it could last just one day. You don't know, like that would be very unlikely, but it's, I guess it's possible, right? Or you could be in it to win it. You don't know. Even if you think you know, you never really know, no? Yeah, that's such a great point. And I think those are things, all of this stuff you've been saying are things I think people don't always realize. Uh, The last thing I'll ask you is what's, each of your favorite thing about fostering so far? I mean, I think just normal things about having a kid. Sometimes I feel like mean because I laugh at him when he does ridiculous <laughs> things like follow. Uh, but it's really funny. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing about being a foster parent so far is she would laugh maybe like to the point of crying maybe once every month or once every two months like how often do human adult woman laugh until they cry like that's not a thing right, yeah you know but with a kid around and that could be of like any age <laughs> she's laughing just thinking about you know it's just so easy to laugh like <laughs> but I, I think also because I'm so tired you know everything seems funny when you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> slap happy is what you are Oh my gosh. Kids are hysterical, by the way. Okay, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think th- how funny they are is what makes it all the other hard parts bearable because they're funny sometimes. There's like something differently funny about every age. Like infants can be hilarious. Absolutely. Eight-year-olds are so funny, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A certain age, like you develop the ability to tell jokes. And then your jokes are funny. But then before that age, jokes are like, why did the penguin? And you're like, what? And they're like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Proto joke age. That's funny too. Like it's all funny. I love that. This has been so wonderful. I can't believe how much practical wisdom and information you were able to share with us about this process. I've learned so much and we just wish you the very best with your new family. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, y'all take care. You too. Good luck. You too. You too. Have a good night. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. The Health It's Personal podcast is produced by me, McKenna Udi, and hosted with the Phronesis Health Initiative team, Karen Jively and Sean Tingle. Special thanks to portrait artist Alexander, musical contributor Bernie Ramke, and to our guests and experts for their kindness and bravery in sharing their stories each week. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey. 
because health, it's personal.